Betsy King. I'm sure it's a name. Yeah, I know. I know you recognize the name, but it's a name that you will never forget after today's interview. I can assure you of that. She collected 39 professional wins of the course of her career, 34 of which were on the LPGA Tour. That ranks her 14th all-time in that category. She won six major championships. The 1987, 1990, and 1997 event, now known as the ANA Inspiration. The 1992 Women's PGA Championship. The 1989 and 1990 U.S. Women's Open. Her career is nothing short of legendary. She was the LPGA Tour's leading money winner in 84, 89, 93. She was the LPGA Tour Player of the Year three times, 84, 89, and 93. She won the LPGA's Fair Trophy in 87 and 93. She won the ESPY Award for the Best Female Golfer in 84. She received the LPGA's William and Mousy Powell Award in 96. She played on five United States Solheim Cup teams with a winning record. She was a captain of the 2007 winning United States Solheim Cup team. Now listen to this. From 1984 to the end of 1995, she played in 48 majors. She finished in the top 10 an insane 31 times. That means that she was finishing the top 10 at a rate of 65% at majors in a stretch of 12 seasons. In fact, all time, there are only 10 women who have ever lived that have 34-plus LPGA wins in six or more majors. 10 women ever. And our guest is one of them. She's also forever enshrined for her legendary career in the World Golf Hall of Fame. Just to underscore the same. She played in total 106 major championships. 106. 55 times she finished in the top 25. 35 in the top 10. 24 top 5 finishes. Six thirds, four runners up, and of course those six victories that I mentioned. She also won the Ladies British in 85, but it didn't count then because it wasn't considered a major at, at the time. So seven majors, depending on who you ask. If you ask me, that's what I'd give it. She's also the CEO and president of Golf 4, F-O-R-E, Africa, which we're going to be talking about as well. Absolute delight and honor to welcome to the Fairways of Life show, Betsy King. How are you, Betsy? I'm great, Matt. Thanks so much. Um, you, you put out a lot of statistics there that I didn't even know about, so I appreciate oh, cool. it. But it's, it's a pleasure to be on your show today. How are thank you? How are you getting through all this? Where are you, and and how are you making sure that you're safe? Um, I'm actually out in Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, I was in Florida. My brother lives in Florida, and I was in that area when things started to go south. Uh, I was there the day of the first round of the TPC when everything started to cancel. And yeah. I ended up coming back uh, from Florida the following week. And I, I can't uh, say that I'm here. I've been here for, what, six, seven weeks now, and it, it's uh, much mm -hmm. longer than I'm I'm normally in one place. But we've been very blessed here in, in Arizona. We 
haven't had a lot of cases. Um, we've had some deaths, but, um, you know, fortunately not too many. And so while things were closed down for a little while, um, we, for most of the time, we've been able to play golf. There was only been a week or two where we couldn't play. And obviously they have uh, social distance, distancing practices in place sure. and other things. But um, we've been um, pretty fortunate here. And you know what? It's warm, too, here. So I, I don't know. They say that that may hinder the virus. Maybe that's been part of it as well. Excellent. Okay. Well, I'm glad you're okay, and I'm glad you're you're making good use of the time and, and enjoying yourself, at least with the golf, as a distraction to all that else that is going on. You mentioned your brother in Florida. Your brother, as I recall, was older than you. How much yeah. did your older brother influence at least the athlete, if not the determination, but at least the athlete that you were and became because of the fact that you're trying to run with an older brother? You know, quite a bit. Um, he's 16 months older than I am. We're, we're a year apart in school. Um, we did a lot of things together, and it was the story that when he went out to play with his friends, my mom was like, well, take your sister. <laughs> so I ended up playing a lot of different sports, football, basketball, baseball, uh, mainly because of my brother. And, you know, it gave me someone to play against all the time. I had that uh, competitive spirit, and I think it um, was a big part in helping me to develop not only as a golfer but as an athlete as well. You, st- How old were you when you started to play golf then, Betsy King? I was uh, nine years old. Uh, my brother and I started taking lessons together um, at, at Reading Country Club in Reading, Pennsylvania, and... <laughs> That's as I say. I always had someone to play with. It, um, we were, you know, we rooted for each other and we helped each other, and it just uh, made such a difference uh, for me and in, in, in my golf career and in growing up in golf. Do you remember from those early days being attracted to the game of golf versus just you know club, glove, racket? It was just one more sport uh, that you were playing. Was there something about that was special about golf even then? Um, you know, I, I liked all the other sports. To be honest, basketball was my favorite sport. Uh, but, um, you know, I, at that in that era, everybody played everything. So it really was great. I mean, I got to play golf in the summers. I played some softball. I played field hockey in the fall, baseball. I mean, excuse me, basketball. Um, so it really, I think it was good because you were exposed to a lot of different sports. You never got tired of one. It was always on to the next one. But as I matured i i enjoyed the solitude of golf you know you're out there by yourself hitting golf balls and at the club where i grew up playing you had to retrieve your own practice balls so um and it, and i really enjoyed the solitude of it um i'm a bit of a loner sometimes and, and i felt like i had the best of both worlds i had the team sports and then i also got to play golf that level of engagement, and I assume your brother was the same from one season to the next and even mixed sports within a season, that's a tremendous commitment from your parents as well. What was their relationship with sports? What kind of athletes were they? What, what was your mother into sports? Well, actually, both my parents were very athletic. My father went to college on a uh, football scholarship. Um, huh. Both my parents grew up in Rhode Island. He was all state um, in football, and he also was a pitcher in baseball. I know he threw a couple no-hitters in high school. Wow. And my my mom's in the University of Rhode Island Sports Hall of Fame. So she um, played tennis and basketball and field hockey and 
they both learned to play golf as adults, and then they introduced uh, my brother Lee and my and me to the game. You know, when we were young. What brought the What brought the family then out to Western Pennsylvania? Um, well, my father went to college in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, at a small school called Dickinson, and then he mm-hmm. ended up going to medical school in Philadelphia. And so when uh, he did his internship, he did it in the Reading area, and that's how we ended up in, in Reading, Pennsylvania. So where do your loyalties lie when it comes to the major sports, basketball, baseball, hockey, whatever? Well, Reading's really closer to Philly. It's about an hour uh, outside of Philadelphia, so I'm a big Philadelphia fan. I grew up rooting for the Phillies, for the um, the Sixers, for the Eagles, um, a little bit for the Flyers. I'm, I'm not into Blood Street Bullies, much, but <laughs> yeah, exactly. And my dad, of course, my dad was originally he was born in Canada and moved to the United States when he was five years old. So he remained a, a pretty big ice hockey <laughs> fan. But um, I really probably the sport I followed the most was uh, I would say baseball with the Phillies, and then second uh, football with the Eagles. When you and I have spoken in the past, Betsy King, you have expressed to me how important your faith is. I remember the quote that you gave me last time we chatted a couple of years back now, as I recall, and you said, I needed to be the best that God created me to be. Mm. And I remember thinking after that, how do you know? How do you know when you've reached the threshold? You know what I'm saying? So when when yeah. did when did faith become so central to you as a person and in judging what you do and how you do it? Um, well, it's interesting because I grew up going to church. My parents were both, you know, grew up uh, going to church as well, but I didn't really personalize my faith till I met the tour. I was on tour for about two and a half years, and someone invited me to come to the Bible study that they had going on the LPGA tour. And I have to say, it was the ups and downs of the of the being on tour that really kind of that made me question, is this all there is to life? And, um, you know, so I started going to the Bible study. I deepened my faith, and it really helped to put things into perspective for me. And to answer your question, when do you know that you've, you know, you need to be the best at how God created you to be? Well, you know if you're putting in 100% effort, you know? You kind of, mm. you can tell if you're dogging it or if you're really trying. And, um, you know, for me personally, I, I loved practicing, I loved playing, and just having my faith in Christ with that helped to um, channel that in a more positive way. I have to say, I was so competitive that it would bother me when other people beat me. So mm-hmm. when I, you know, looked at, hey, I, I just need to be the best that I can be. It doesn't really matter what anyone else is doing. I just need to be the best that I can be. It it really channeled things in a more positive direction and i think it helped me to be more successful than i would have been otherwise what about your college years where did you go how important was that to shaping the athlete that you would become who were you competing against in those years Um, well i was really fortunate it's it's interesting that you asked i was just on a call today with Furman university uh, with the women's golf uh, team they had their awards announcements today and they invited beth daniel me, Cindy Davis, and Dottie Pepper, who are all alumni of Furman, um, to, hmm. to be on the call. Uh, and, you know, they had a, a, there's a senior that graduated this year, um, Natalie Servanesson. Um, she was the NCAA Player of the Year. She won the Onik Award um, for uh, top female collegiate golfer, a really good player, yeah. and she's going to be out on the LPGA 
tour in a year or two. But um, for me, it was Beth. Beth Daniel was a year behind me in school, and we were ultra competitive. <laughs> in fact, Beth mentioned on the phone today that um, our names were on the MVP award for the Furman, the top uh, Furman player each year. And she said, you know, Betsy pushed me both in the classroom and on the course. And, you know, I don't know, I, I don't know if I remember it that way. I think we both were pretty committed to, um, you know, d- being better as players. And uh, maybe I was a little bit more of a student. I really enjoyed doing the studying as well. And I kind of wasn't um, as social as Beth was. So I probably spent a little bit more time studying. But we definitely pushed one another. Um, and I think it helped to develop both our games. Excellent. What was with the studies? Was it just, were you just, is that your nature or were you enamored with your classes and uh, what were you studying? Well, to be honest, I, Furman is a, is a very good academic school. I, I can't, I wanted to be a history major, but I went, once I started there, I thought it might be too hard for me to do that and play the sports that I was playing. Cause I was playing, I actually played field hockey two years in college and played basketball three years. So it wasn't oh my gosh. until my it wasn't until my senior year that I played just golf. Um, so I ended up as a physical education major, and I decided that um, if I didn't make it on the tour, I was going to go get my master's and go into either athletic administration or uh, into coaching. So it's kind of it, it worked out well that I made it because looking back, I don't know if I would have been the best coach in life. Do do you ever think I, I, on that, uh, Betsy? Do you ever think about the road that you didn't take? Um, you know, a little bit. I actually had the opportunity I, a number of years ago. I helped a friend of mine uh, coach basketball at a high school um, in the winter huh. uh, at a Christian school here at Scottsdale Christian here in school. So, um, and I, I befriended a number of college basketball coaches. I've been to about uh, four Final Fours uh, for the women. In basketball, you know, when it fit into my schedule, I went, and I uh, was pr- pretty good friends with uh, Coach uh, Kay Yao, who was at North Carolina State, yeah. and uh, Jane Albright, who, uh, when I met her, she was at Northern Illinois and then was at Wisconsin for a few years and a couple other colleges. So I, um, I've i watched quite a few uh, women's college basketball games um, and enjoyed that. Um, and I think if I had had the talent, I would have loved to pursue basketball i mean i played but you know i'm five six and i'm not fast so that's not the the best uh the best attributes to be successful in, in basketball well you must have had a heck of a vision to be able to play as at, at high a level that you did even with that not just that sport but the others as well i want to ask you about a couple of attributes of winners if if i may be so bold in, in the use of that cliche but i want to ask you about the importance of perseverance. Mm-hmm. I think it's very important. I, I think that was probably one of my best at, attributes. I don't think I have the most talent or, you know, maybe was even in the top five in, in talent, but I, uh, the two things I think I had was uh, patience and perseverance. Um, you know, you just have to keep working at it. You don't become a, you know, a champion or a star overnight. You know, you need a good teacher to help you with mechanics and, um, and then you just need to have that perseverance and patience to keep working on it because it it just doesn't come. You know, I, when I, it's interesting when I play with amateurs, oftentimes they they don't get to practice or play that much, and yet their expectations they think um, you know that they're going to be able to play really well without having time to practice or play. 
And, you know, golf's not an easy sport. It's um, like anything else. You have to practice a lot and and have a good attitude. Um, and I think I was really blessed that those were – I had both of those things, and, and it helped me to, to be successful. Perseverance, uh, to, in my mind, is a willingness to fight through adversity. Determination is about commitment. It's about something that's inside of you that says, I am determined to overcome any obstacles and to reach my goals. How determined was Betsy King? Well, I always say I think I've had one of the most unusual careers ever it took me six and a half years to win my first event on the tour, and then I won 34 times, you know, 34 official wins. So um, usually that doesn't happen. If you're going to win that many tournaments, usually it starts pretty soon after you get out there. But, um, you know, I just uh, started working with a pro named Ed Oldfield, and he changed some things in my swing, and I started hitting the ball better. And, and I think I had the, the tough mental attitude. I just needed the right direction. And once I had that, I kept getting better, you know, each year. And so when you see that happening, that's encouraging. But um, it does take a lot of determination. Um, you know, I, I always felt that if I could, the more I practiced, the better I was going to be. And if you have that attitude and you and you do the right kind of practice, you are going to get better. I mean, it, it, when you look at the very best players, and and I'm talking about Hall of Fame kind of people, they mm -hmm. all were hard workers. I mean, you don't just fall into getting into the Hall of Fame. Whatever level of talent you have, they worked hard to d develop that talent. And I think the other secret is that they're striving to be better. Wherever they are in their game, whether they're you know winning not at all or winning five tournaments a year, they're still trying to get better. When you broke through, in 1984 and won the Women's Kemper Open. And then, if I may as well, I'm going to throw it into the same chapter here. Just a, a month f more of three years later when you won the Dinah Shore. Mm -hmm. Did those victories validate for Betsy King what you already knew about yourself? Or did they reveal something new to you? Um, I think when you look back on your career, there's certain milestones that stand out. And I would say for every player, probably the first win that they have um, on the tour. And because up until then, you don't know, hey, can I win? And I, and I wasn't, to be honest, I wasn't really sure. You know, I wanted to be the best that I could be, but maybe that meant that I wasn't going to win. But, um, you know, once I won, then I, you, you know at that point what it takes to win. And, and it does make it easier, that much easier, I think, to get the second win. I mean, I won that first one in March in 84, and I won two more times that year and ended up number one on the money list and, you know, just went on from there. So mm. for me, I, I got over that hurdle of what does it take to win. Um, to be honest, I was surprised that you could make as many mistakes as you can and still win a golf tournament. In, in my mind, I thought, oh, I'm going to have to play perfect golf for four days to win. But nobody does that. Um, you know, it, it, at our level, even at the pro level, if you ask the pros after a round, how many shots did you really hit just like you wanted to? And they would probably pick four or five shots out of the whole round that they really, I just really creamed that or I really hit that just like I wanted to. And the same way with the putts, you know, they you have a good putting day and you go, 
you know what, there were about five or six putts out there that I, once I started them, I knew they were in, I hit them right in the middle of the hole, that kind of thing. It's, um, but golf's a game of misses, you know, you play your misses and the, the better your misses are, the better you're going to be as a player. With 34 wins on the LPGA, Betsy King, it's too many for me to go through all the people that you beat in each one of those. But just kind of perusing it quickly, Pat Bradley, Patty Sheehan, Joanne Carner, Jan Stevenson, Beth Daniel, Nancy Lopez, and the list goes on. Mm-hmm. You yeah, seem I, to I, have played. You Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, I really feel for it was sort of the golden era for American golf. You took the words um, you know, out of my 19- mouth. That's where I was going. Yeah. Yeah, the 1980s. Um, I came on the tour the exact same time as Nancy Lopez. We both qualified at the same Q school in 1977. And, um, of course, her career took off right away. For me, it took a little longer. But in the 80s, we were all at you know on the, the peak of our games. I mean, Amy Alcott, Hollis Stacey, Beth Daniel, Patty Sheehan, and the people <laughs> that you're mentioning. And uh, it was fun. I mean, it was uh competitive there wasn't you know nancy you know won. she might have won a little bit more than everybody else but there really it was a group of about eight to twelve players that really don't were dominating and it, it was fun to be a part of that and i'll tell you looking back on that group we were probably the most competitive people that you'd ever meet if you put us all in a room <laughs> we were just naturally competitive and in that era, most of the players played other sports. You know, Patty Sheehan was a world-class skier. Um, you know, most of us grew up playing other sports. And I think you were more than just a golfer. You were also an athlete. And it, it made a difference. Amazing stuff. Uh, it, it, it just, it's one of those things where, and the list is long, but you could go through great champions, many of whom are already enshrined in the Hall of Fame like yourself, Betsy King, and wonder how many majors would they have won if they didn't have to go through this wall of competitors that you guys competed with. Now, I can tell you, for people that were watching it, it was an absolute delight because it was so competitive and such great personalities. I love the way you defined it, a a golden age for the LPGA. Do you feel like you're able to connect with the young women today to make them understand uh, the roots of the LPGA, just just to be there as a resource, a sounding board, perhaps? Um, you know, I still, because of my charity, Golf for Africa, we do events you know, to raise money, and we usually use LPGA players. So I, and I, so I end up at four or five LPGA tournaments a year. And, you know, I have to say the level of golf is phenomenal. I mean, everybody... You know, it's different. They train differently. They start when they're very young. You have the use of video. Everybody has teachers and sports psychologists, et cetera, fitness coaches. So people really are, you know, getting the the most out of their abilities. But um, I I can relate. It's much more of a world tour than when I was playing. Um, And But it it makes it that much more competitive because each week the best players in the world are playing on the LPGA tour. Um, So I have... I'm very, I have a lot of respect for the, the level of play that's, that's happening on the tour um, today. I mean, I'm glad that I'm not playing today in terms of the travel. You know, there's a lot more international travel that they do, but um, I, I think the players are great today, absolutely great. Did you ever think during that stretch when you were struggling to break through the first six and a half years as you defined it, 
Did you ever think that it just wasn't worth it? Did you think about maybe going back and pursuing that coaching degree or the master's degree or what have you? Mm-hmm. Um, no, because I was doing well enough that I was making a living. Um, you know, I was able to, to get by and to be okay. Um, I do remember thinking at one time, and this is probably the competitiveness in me, well, I'm just going to be the best non-winner there's ever been on tour. And um, But fortunately, you know, that all changed. Um, I'm sure I questioned it. I mean, I would question it almost every year. Um, in fact, I was talking to someone, a, a younger player the other day, who was a tour. And one of the things, uh, a, a piece of advice that I had, actually it was when I was trying to decide whether or not to retire from the tour. And mm-hmm. the sports psychologist said, you know, you, you make that decision at the beginning of the year and you say, okay, I'm going to come out. And then that's the only time you think about it. And you play the whole year and then you reevaluate at the end and of, of the year. And I thought that makes a lot of sense. You can't go in each week thinking, oh, if I play well this week, I'll continue. If I don't play well, I'm going to quit. And I, and I would say that for someone at any age, you know, if you're pursuing golf and you're, you know, you're, you're in it for a few years and you're trying to decide whether or not to continue to, to at least commit for the year. And then at the end of the year, you know, evaluate it. And it, it, it takes a lot of pressure off of you. It keeps you more focused and, you know, you just play each week. And by the end of the year, you, you make your decision at the end of the year, not midway through or after each week. Does that make sense, Matt? You know, it's absolutely brilliant. And while I'm listening to you, I say this all the time, Betsy, that if you listen to Hall of Famers, if you listen to great champions, almost everything they say has pearls of wisdom within. At times, it's also just paved with gold like you just did. But that counsel, to me, what was striking me as you were saying it was it sounds like so much more than just golf. It seems like it would fit in, in every a lot of stuff that you've said already tonight. Seems that it would fit in almost any field of endeavor or competition or path of life. I mean, it, it's it's just approaching. It, it takes pressure off and saying let's let's open our vision and make it broader instead of so narrow and and, and so much anxiety and nerves associated. Right. I, I compare it to if you had a job, you wouldn't go okay. If I have a bad week at the office this week, I'm quitting. If I have a good week, I'll continue. You know, you would think beyond that. Yeah. You give yourself more time at a job before you would make some a, a decision like that. And it's the same thing with the golf. You know, you just have to give yourself more time and you know, and then do an evaluation. When is Betsy King the most happy? Uh, you know, for these day, at at this time in my life, probably when I'm with family. Um, when I'm with my brother and I have two nephews and, and then secondly, when I'm working on my charity golf for Africa and as, um, a lot of people know, a lot of people don't know, but we're raising money for clean water in Africa. And I've, uh, in, in December of last year, I, I did my, uh, 25th trip to Africa Wow. And I just, uh, yeah, it's, um, you know, it's, um, gotten me to travel a lot more than I thought I would tired but um i've enjoyed every minute of it it's um challenging to to raise funds um but it's uh once you've been over there in in africa and seen the level of poverty and what people have to face particularly as women and girls uh, you come back and you know you have to do something about it so 
um, we've uh, done a number of things. I founded Golf for Africa with a, a friend in 2000, at the end of 2006, and mm-hmm. you know we've raised, um, I think, about 12 million dollars since then. And, you know, this year obviously has been very challenging just with what's going on around the world, but. Um, I've been on a couple conference calls from uh, Zambia, uh, working with the World Vision staff in Zambia. World Vision is the agency that we partner with. with. But in Zambia, a country of about, um, I think, 17 million, uh, they have nine ICU beds in the whole country. Oh. So, um, you know, we just have to pray that it, that the coronavirus does not come to Africa um, because they will not be able to handle it um, and there's a lot of people that have underlying conditions. Um, you know, we talk about that here, and, and we've seen what's happened when someone has that. And over there, um, because of um, HIV and AIDS, a lot of people's immune systems are compromised. There's um, a lot of cases of TB in Africa, which, you know, we don't really have much uh, tuberculosis here in the United States anymore. But over there, it's still fairly prevalent. And, um, you know, I, I just uh, I look up online to see you know, what the case count is over there. Um, but to be honest, you, you don't, they don't have the uh, ability to, to give um, estimates, I, I don't think, a correct estimates on how many people even um, have the disease. But, um, you know, what, what we're working on is to bring clean water to rural villages. Uh, we uh, fund hand pump wells that serve villages. On average, about 300 people uh, uh, benefit from a hand pump well and then we're doing mechanized systems where we actually have running water in showers and uh, western style toilets in health school uh, health clinics and schools and it's uh, every time i go there i i come back with a desire to try to do more people are very grateful um even though they don't have much money i have to say in december Asa Munoz went with us with her mom consuela um and she had funded a well, so we dedicated her well in, in a village. And she just, she was, uh, she said to me, I, I, you know, I, I expected to see poverty, but not like this. She goes, uh, you know, we bring them clean water, but that's about it. I mean, they still, you know, they're, um, they have to struggle for food and, you know, the, the unemployment rates very high. It's, um, there are a lot of challenges in Africa. Um, that we don't know about here, but um, it's been very rewarding, and I just um, am inspired every day to to try to make a difference. But um, you know, I, I if I were to give a message to everyone, what really makes life meaningful is that you have to be involved in a cause that's bigger than yourself. Um, you know, whatever you do for yourself is it for a job or individually in a hobby or or sport, whatever. That's fine, but you have to be involved in something, a cause that's bigger than yourself and, and that you're trying to make the world a better place in, in one way or another. It's golf4foreafrica.org, O-R-G is the website, golf4africa.org. Just to give you two statistics without you know boring people, one is that about 5,000 children under the age of five die each day in the developing world from drinking dirty water. And then secondly, it takes $50 to bring clean water to one person for a lifetime. So we all can make a difference. You know, it can, if you, you can really change one person's life for a lifetime just by bringing um, clean water to them 
and it don't, and the cost is fifty dollars. So, uh, uh, Betsy King, I have to ask you the question: How are you getting these wells done? You know, you, we we hear the amount say where you can sponsor a, a well for a village and so forth, but how does it actually get done? How does that well begin to be hand pumped working? Well, we we partner with an agency called World Vision, and they're um, a relief and development uh, agency that works in about a hundred countries around the world. Um, but and I've been fortunate enough to be there when to see wells, the clean water brought to the surface for the first time. But it's really important to get the buy-in from the community. I mean, we're not just addressing uh, clean water; we're also doing hygiene education and sanitation. So we're working in rural areas where there there isn't electricity. Um, you know, they you live in a hut, could be a couple rooms. Sometimes you'll have a cement floor. Sometimes it's a dirt floor. Um, so what what often happens is that you have uh, you train community workers who come in to each household and say, this is what you need to do. You need to have a pit latrine. You need to have an area to dump your trash. You need to have a little hand-washing station, a private area um, to bathe in. You have to build a little dish rack to get your dishes off the ground. And then we they form water committees. Um, the, the community collects a little money. They're trained in basic repairs of the well. And then once all those things happen, then they literally they um, go around the country, World Vision, and like in Zambia last year, they drilled over 500 wells. They have uh, four or five drill welling uh, drill teams that go from village to village, and it can be anywhere from 75 to 500 feet deep that they have to go down to to find wow. the clean water. Um, and then you know it's you. you put a hand pump on that and then at medical at facilities like medical uh, facilities or schools where you're benefiting thousands of people then we'll uh, we'll fund medical uh, I mean uh, mechanized water systems where you'll actually have um, it'll be the water will be pumped from the well up into a holding um, tank and then you'll have taps running uh, pipes running under the ground and have taps so it could be right outside a home it'll be within the medical clinic at the school and then um, you can put in Western-style toilets as well when you have that kind of system. So um, I've learned a lot about how you do relief and development, and it's, um, mm-hmm. it's not easy. But the, the key is to have the buy-in of the community so that it's sustaining. So once you leave that area, the community now has the ability to continue to take care of those facilities. This is Betsy King that you are listening to. It's golf4africa.org, golf4africa.org, if you want to be a part of this as well. All that you have done, Betsy King, and the $12 million plus that you have raised changing lives and saving lives in Africa you said that when you come back with all all that you've already accomplished that you want to do more. Are you able to find quiet moments, moments of solitude, when you can appreciate what you have done, when you can sit back and be glad for this endeavor that, that is giving your life purpose? Um, you know, I'm very thankful that I have a purpose in my life. To be honest, this uh, being at home as much as I have been, it, it's been challenging, and I, I am getting bored where before, you know, I'm never in one place for six or seven weeks. I would have done two or three trips in that time. And um, so it, it's been a little bit challenging um, that way. But I'm very thankful, you know, to have have this purpose. I, 
I, I, you know, I, I feel fortunate just to be a small part of it. I, I'm more inspired by the people that I meet um, than by anything that I've done. Well, it, it's it's amazing what you have done. And so collectively, I'm sure you've heard it, but thank you on behalf of everyone that can look at this and say, Hall of Famer, with the career that you've had, with everything that you've accomplished, to continue to give back in spades in this case because you are touching the lives of so many people. It's golfforafrica.org, F-O-R-E, golfforafrica.org. Now, what are you communicating with some of the young players right now? Are there other players that are on the docket that want to get involved? I know we've heard from a lot of them yeah. over the years that have done it, but how's that going? It's going great. I, we had a call recently, and I, it was so much fun. We had Lorena Ochoa. Julie Inkster, Catherine oh. Kirk, Amy Olson, Angela Stanford, and Asa Munoz on the line. We did a Zoom a Zoom meeting call um, with our you know for our donor list, and you know they were in all parts of the world, literally Lorena in Mexico, Julie in California, Angela in Texas, etc. And we just had a great time, and all of those people have supported those players have supported Golf for Africa in one way or another. They've all played in our events. Uh, several of them have been with us to Africa. Others of them have funded Wells personally. And it was just a great time to talk to them, to find out what they've been doing, you know, during this time when they haven't been able to play golf. And then, uh, and, and, you know, talk about their families and then also talk about their involvement with Golf for Africa. So um, I've been really impressed with this current generation of golfers you know they particularly you know i i don't know the guys as well but on the ladies side they're all very charitable a number of them have their own foundation um, but uh they they all have great hearts and they want to use the platform that they have as professional golfers to make a difference i love it i love catching up with you betsy king because you're inspiring all of us with the idea that find a purpose and the idea that we all can do more a golf for Africa.org. If you want to do more with Betsy King and her very noble cause. So great to talk to you. Thank you so much for the massive amount of time that you've given us here today. And from all of us, we wish you the very, very best in all of your pursuits. Matt, thank you so much. It's really been a, a great pleasure for me to be on your program. Um, you know, we've, Everybody listening, I'm sure, loves golf, and I've enjoyed talking about that. And thank you, too, for letting me share about um, you know, my personal story and about Golf for Africa. We wish you the very best with all of it. Thanks so much. Thank you.